Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Just a sports report. Today I'm going to be jumping into my UFC Vegas 53 preview and predictions and it's going to be taking place from the Apex so we've seen a lot of crowds in recent times but back in the Apex this weekend Las Vegas UFC Vegas 53 headlined by Rob Font and Marlon Vera and a very important match in the bantamweight divisions landscape so a lot to look forward to. A lot of fights on the main card that are going to be pretty fun, but today is all about the preliminary card, so I'm going to jump through all six fights on the card, give my preview and my predictions, and hopefully you'll get a bit of insight into, yeah, what's going to go on this weekend. Should be pretty good, so part one is all about the prelims, and look, we're going to get into it today. So Font and Vera in the main event, but I will be doing a separate main card preview and predictions And do not forget that this Sunday, as usual, myself and JJ will be sitting down and watching the UFC Fight Night card take place, and we'll be releasing a thoughts and comments live reaction podcast to all of the action. But look, I'm sure you've got important things to do, so I don't want to hold you for too long. Let's get straight in to the first fight on the card, and that is our flyweight opener, which intrigues me a hell of a lot. It is the Japanese star... Tatsuru Tyra up against Carlos Candelario. Now, Tyra, he is Japanese, 22 years old. Only 22, looks like a very, very promising young prospect. So, another one that I am really keen to see. I was quite keen to see the, uh, I don't know how young he is, but the prospect Dean Barry, the Irishman, that was a total bad shit. That was a total bad shit. Uh, yeah, the illegal, I actually didn't see it as well because it was the first and it was in the morning and I was hungover. But yeah, he got DQ'd and apparently he's been dirty as fuck. So look, I have a lot more high hopes for Tatsuru Tyra. 22 years old, he is representing Pariastra Okinawa. Okinawa, sorry. Uh, yeah, my English isn't great. So my pronunciation of other things at times fails me, but please forgive me. And look, Tatsuru Tyra is a submission specialist. He knows exactly how to find your back, put you in compromising positions. And I was looking through his amateur record and his professional record, and he submitted a lot of guys who had had multiple fights and had never been submitted. So he knows how to submit guys that seem to be all right at getting out of those submissions. And that's going to be crucial because Carlos Candelario has never been finished in his professional career. Speaking of Carlos Candelario, he is nicknamed the Cannon, 30 years old, from underdog Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he's style, obviously, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so that makes him a massive threat. I kind of think that that could lead this one to decision, for sure. I expect Carlos Candelario to try and take this one the whole distance, so I have been back and forth in terms of my prediction for this one. As far as the narratives, it is the official UFC debut for both. 
Tatsuru Taira, as I mentioned, is a hugely exciting prospect. He is 10-0 and 0 as a professional at only 22 years of age, not to mention his 9-0 and 0 amateur record, so 19 wins in total for Tatsuru Taira and 0 losses. He is only 22, so if he starts to put the things together at the highest level, we could be looking at a really special journey about to take place in the UFC. Tyra has finishes in 8 of his 10 pro wins as well, so look, Candelario has only ever lost once, and that was by decision and split decision at that. So that's why I've been like, ah, oh, fuck. Does this, I'm going to clear you in. I am going for Tatsuru Tyra. I am really excited about this young Japanese kid. So I'm going for Tyra, but I'm, does he get the submission win? Does he get the decision? Does it go the distance? I think Candelario, as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist, is going to have a lot of answers for what Tyra has to throw at him. But the fact that Tyra in the past has submitted guys outside of the UFC and been their only submission loss on their professional record, I, I believe he can do it. So this is going to be an awesome opener. I can't wait. It is going to set the tone for what should be a really fun card to sit down and watch. Tyra, no doubt, the latest prospect at 125. It was unfortunate. I think it was last weekend's card. It might have been this one. I think it was last weekend. Manel Cape and Sui Mudajeri. I butchered that, but whatever. Uh, they are two flyweight prospects. Not that you'll ever be able to put what I just said and who they are together. Uh, but Tatsuru Tyra, get really excited about this young kid at flyweight. I know that I sure am, but... I was excited about Dean Barry as well in last weekend's opener, and that did not go to plan at all. It actually went quite the opposite from to plan. So, look, I'm going to hold hold my horses on the prediction just yet. We've got a bit more to look at before I, I'm still torn. I'm actually still on the fence, whether it's a decision or submission win. But let me highlight Tatsuru Tyra's opponent, Candelario. He is the first fighter in the history of Dana White's Contender Series to be called up to the roster after a loss. And look, it was pretty monumental. He lost by split decision to Victor uh, Altamariano, who made his UFC debut recently. Pretty sure he lost by decision from memory. My memory always hazy. But yeah, Victor Altamariano, from my memory, I picked him to win and he lost. So look, as far as these split decision guys, I think he may have even lost by split decision. I didn't do my research on that part of it. But... Yeah, as far as Candelario and Altamirano, Mariano, and their split decision appearance on Contender Series that got both of them a contract, maybe Candelario is the better of the two. Who knows? They may have to run it back. Uh, and yeah, I think Candelario is going to have a lot of answers for his younger opponent. Now, the opening week of Season 5 on Contender Series, that is when it went down between Altamariano and Carlos Candelario, and that was the only loss on Candelario's record, a split decision. So now maybe you can understand a bit more as to why I'm hesitant to go for Tatsuru Taira to get the submission finish over him. 8-1 overall for Candelario, and you've got to wonder, who emerges from this contest as one of the ones to watch in this flyweight division? For Tyra, seven of his ten wins have been first-round finishes, so this is an insanely quality matchup as the opener. This is better than a few fucking few fights higher up on the card, to be honest. Like, 
I am truly excited about this one. Tyra, 7 of 10 wins in the first round, and his last three have all been round one submission victories. So look into that what you will. Candelario, I believe, is going to have way more answers than the opponents that Tyra has come up to at this stage. And let's remember, it is the UFC. And whilst it's at the apex, this is still the biggest stage in the mixed martial arts world. So he is going to have to present his best version of himself. Coming off three first round submissions, Tyra. So, uh, fuck. Torn. Truly torn. Candelario. This is one of the ones where I've seen his contender series appearance, but I would like to see more. This is his official promotional debut so obviously after this one we will have a little bit more hindsight as to where both of these guys stand in the bigger picture looking at the professional records tatsuru tyra his pro record 10 and 0 as i mentioned earlier five of his 10 wins have been by submission so 50 percent of wins by submission that doesn't mean that he always gets it done via that method as well which maybe this leans me towards tyra by decision over Candelario. I'm still I'm thinking out loud right now. Uh, now, in terms of the knockouts, Tyra has had three knockouts as well. So that's, that's one I haven't considered as much, but definitely an option. But I think if he gets the finish, ah, fuck, it's hard. The Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, this is one of the hardest fights on the card. There's another one involving Mr. Gabe Green a bit later on that's really hard to pick. There are a few fights on this card that are incredibly difficult to pick. But look, the last time I did a preview and predictions, it was the pay-per-view headlined by Volkanovski, Korean Zombie, head-to-head, 10 of 11 correct. The only one I had wrong was Pyodian. So the research, the thought that goes into it, the intent has been there. It has been good. I am recording this on the laptop that we manifested on the podcast. If you listened to a few previous episodes manifested it into existence, recording this on a giant laptop. So I am starting to believe in the method for my predictions, and hopefully you are too. Hopefully we can make some money this weekend. That's cool if you don't want to make, uh, not make some money. We could lose some money, but if you're not keen to bet, that's totally fine as well. As they say on gambling ads after they're just like hammer you with shit like, bet your money, bet your money, then they're just like, Gamble responsibly, boom, add over. But do remember, if you're going to gamble, definitely gamble responsibly. Anyway, back to the fight and Carlos Candelario's record. Let me also just quickly mention that the two times that haven't been stoppages for Tyra have obviously been decisions. So he has won twice by decision. He's not just like some absolute fight finisher. That obviously has been his go. But he's no stranger to decision as well in only 10 fights. Candelario, 8-1, as I mentioned earlier, with the decision loss, split decision to Victor Altamariano. And in terms of Candelario's wins, two have been by knockout, three submissions, and three decisions. So a lot of different ways this could go down. And I will be, you know, I'll have to swallow my words if Candelario comes out and he ends up getting it done and getting the stoppage win, because that's something that I haven't been considering as much. So really keen for this opening contest. It is going to be a really stern test for Tyra, who I believe will be chasing the submission finish. But as I said, a million times said a few things tonight. Stern test. Now it's time for me to say something that I haven't said. And that is my prediction for this UFC Vegas 53 
opening flyweight contest. As I said, I'm taking Tatsuri Tyra. And I am going to go for Tyra by submission. I'm too excited. I'm pumped about this kid's prospects. Why not go all in, get fully on board with it? So I'm taking Tatsuri Tyra over Carlos Candelario. I will be doing a double chance bet for decision or submission win, but ultimately I got to make one clear prediction and I am going to go with Tatsuru Tyra by submission. So with that being done, let's now jump on to the second fight on this card. Up next, women's flyweight action between Gina Mazine and Shanna Young. Let's get to Gina Mazine first. Uh, look, uh, that was a different note. I put in brackets, start washing. I had to do my washing. That was a little like, hey, once you get to that point, uh, I actually got to the, the washing point before I got to this point. So let me get to what's important here. Gina Mazine, nicknamed Danger, 33 years old. And the American also boasts the superior reach in this fight. She is representing Glory MMA and Fitness. And look, Gina Mazine is a striker with an interesting background. She grew up figure skating and then started boxing at 18 before shortly after she transitioned into mixed martial arts. Her opponent on the weekend, Shanna Young, aka The Shanimal, is a 31-year-old American representing Knoxville Martial Arts Academy. Shanna was a karate kind of background kind of vibe. I that was a pretty poor explanation. Did karate when she was younger, as opposed to figure skating for Gina Mazine. And then Shanna Young began to work on her wrestling. She delved into that. And look, she's really strong in that area. For Gina Mazine, her first fights in the UFC, first five fights, sorry, were at bantamweight. And since moving down to flyweight, she has gone one and one. She won her first fight in the division, but in Gina's last fight, she lost in round two via TKO to Pris Priscilla Cachoeira. And that was a really uh, impressive performance from Priscilla, not so much from Gina. Gina's record in the UFC now standing at two wins and five losses. So she really needs a victory to help herself get back on track here. As for Shanna Young, an equally as unimpressive, I guess you could say. Look, not that I have a professional record, but Shanna's UFC record, 0-2, with a unanimous decision loss on debut to Macy Chason before being TKO'd in round two by Stephanie Egger in October of last year. Both of those fighters are pretty high level, so maybe we haven't seen the best of Shanna Young, and this is what kind of makes this one a bit of a head-scratcher. Very much a flip of the coin operation, but look, I'm gonna go and delve into it a bit more and try and reach a unanimous conclusion. No doubt both of these women are fighting for their place inside the UFC. Checking out both women's professional records, starting with Gina Mazine, seven and five overall professionally, four of Gina's seven wins by knockout, and she also has one submission victory and two decisions, but the key stat in terms of wins for Gina, four of seven by knockout. As for Gina's losses, three of her five losses have been by knockout with one submission and one decision loss as well. So four of seven wins by knockout, three of five losses by knockout. This could very much be a knockout contest. So Gina Mazine, it's her gas tank that really concerns me. She seems to just put it all out there fight or flight and it has backfired a couple of times so 
Very curious one, this fight. As for Shanna Young, she is 7-4 and four overall. Shanna's wins include one knockout, so she doesn't seem primed to, ca- to capitalize on Gina's weakness. Three submissions, though, which could definitely be a concern, and three decision wins for Shanna Young. As far as Young's losses, she has lost twice by decision, once by knockout, and once by submission. So she's only been knocked out once. It'll be interesting to see how this takes place, especially considering Shanna's only knockout was in her last fight against Stephanie Egger. Stephanie, not Stephanie. Now, this one is a head-scratcher in every sense, with the greatest respect to both women, so... I'm going to make my prediction, but with not a great deal of conviction. I'm going to be taking Gina Mazanay by decision. I think that the reach advantage is going to play a part. And ultimately, in a fight that has been just quite hard overall to pick, I am going to stick with Gina Mazanay by decision in women's flyweight action, getting the job done over Shani Young. But my confidence levels are pretty low, so... Look, we'll wait and see. Hopefully I take that back and Gina Mazanay has an outstanding performance, but we'll see how that all stands. I am taking Gina Mazanay over Shani Young by decision. Coming up next, we have got lightweight action between Natan Levy and Mike Breeden. Now, let me start with Natan Levy, representing his home nation of Israel, and the 30-year-old will be representing also... He represents, you know, the nation of Israel, also represents his gym over at Syndicate MMA, and he is a submission specialist, really good with his grappling, and yeah, when Natan Levy gets a chance, always going for the submission, so something to be wary of. His opponent, Mike Money Breeden, the American 33 years old from Glory MMA and Fitness, the same gym as Gina Mazanay from the fight before. And Money Mike, or Mike Money Breeden, he is a knockout specialist, always looking for that big hit. So definitely look out for this one. Should be a cracking fight. And for Latan Nevi, gone a bit dyslexic here. Um, for Natan Levy, he is a submission specialist, as I mentioned. Well, Mike Breeden has never been submitted. So take that into consideration that Mike Breeden never submitted. And Breeden himself, a knockout specialist, take this into consideration. Natan Levy has never been knocked out. So this is going to be a really fun fight and a great stylistic matchup. Something the UFC do an incredible job of. This is another perfect example of a very quality stylistic matchup. Now Mike Breeden was a Dana White Contender Series 2020. Not a graduate, he just appeared on it. I was going to say graduate, but he actually did not graduate because he had a decision loss to Anthony Romero. Breeden didn't end up getting the contract. Since then, he had a round two knockout over Ken Beverly outside of the UFC, whose record overall stands at nine and six. And he had a unanimous decision win most recently against Nick Compton, who is a 40-year-old with a record of 12 and 10. Breeden was called up for his UFC debut on short notice, those two fights, and obviously he'd been on Contender Series, so Dana White had seen enough to say, come on back, have your chance at the big time. He took on Alexander Hernandez, who is another knockout specialist. Very, very big hitter for the lightweight division is Alexander Hernandez, and he proved as much, flooring Mike Breeden with an 80-second knockout loss 
in the first round of their fight. So Breeden, now that he has a full camp under his belt, hoping to give the best account of himself, up against Natan Levy, who started 6-0 in his professional career, appeared on Season 4 of Dana White's Contender Series. He earned the contract with a win, but he had to wait a full year. There were a couple of fights that didn't end up coming through, and it took a year, so we actually saw... I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, please. Uh, I'm pretty sure we saw a couple of graduates from Dana White's Contender Series Season 5, the 2021 season, before we saw Natan Levy from the 2020 season. So took him a while to get that debut, but he ended up facing Rafa Garcia, and Natan Levy lost for the first time in his pro career by unanimous decision to Rafa Garcia. So you've got to wonder, how will Natan respond? It was the first loss of his career. We've seen some fighters not be able to get back to their best after having their confidence shot from a loss like that, but I think the Israeli is going to be a lot stronger than that. I think he's going to step up big time and give a much better performance than what he showed in his UFC debut. For Mike Breeden, he has the advantage in the height department and the striking department. I think Breeden has potential to cause Natan Level. Levy? Levy. I was going to say levels. Natan Levy has potential. Fuck. Okay, I'm back. We're just going to, yeah, quick roll. I could have edited that, but yeah. Now you can have a little bit of an inside process of some of the things that get edited out and that you don't get to hear on this podcast. What you do get to hear, though, is that Natan Levy has the reach advantage and he has the better department skills in the grappling, whereas Breeden in the striking has potential to cause Natan Levy all kinds of issues, I guess is what I was trying to say before. Looking at the pro records, Natan Levy, his record now standing at 6-1 with a UFC record of 0-1, that being the one decision loss of his career. As for his wins, he's had three submissions and three decisions, so he's never knocked anyone out in professional competition, but he has submitted them and he has proved that he can get it done in the distance. As for Mike Breeden, he has never been submitted. I mentioned that before, so... It's a bloody awesome stylistic matchup. And let's not forget as well, although you could be forgiven for forgetting this, considering that I haven't actually even seen this fight, but Mike Breeden never submitted. And in his last fight before the UFC up against Nick Compton, Nick Compton was a submission specialist. So look, that's at a lower level than the UFC, but he has been up against guys who've been testing him in that realm, which makes this an interesting contest. Mike Breeden's professional record standing at 10 wins and four losses. His four losses containing two knockouts and two decisions, including that UFC debut 82nd knockout loss to Alexander Hernandez. As far as Breeden's wins, 80% by knockout with eight knockouts and two decisions. So as I mentioned, Breeden, absolutely the knockout specialist. That's no doubt what he's going to be trying to achieve here. And as I also mentioned, Natan Levy is yet to be knocked out in his professional career. What a matchup. We have a submission artist up against a knockout artist. There can only be one winner in this lightweight contest. And after much thought, I'm going to take Natan Levy by decision. I think submission could be an interesting option, and I definitely think Breeden has a lot of a case to win in any kind of fashion, mainly knockout, but decision as well. I do think Breeden, he may pace himself a bit more, 
But at some stage in the fight, the way Money Mike always likes to do it, he is going to put the foot down and try and get the knockout. But ultimately, I think Natan Levy is going to be avoiding that. He'll be doing some grappling, looking for submissions, but I think Breeden can get out of the attempts. So I'm going to take this as a fight that goes the full distance. And as for who I think can have the advantage over the full 15 minutes, Natan Levy is my pick. So I'm going to be taking Natan Levy in the lightweight division over Mike Breeden, UFC 53. Let's go. Not UFC 53, UFC Vegas 53. Let's go. Jumping into our next fight in the welterweight division, we have the gifted Gabe Green up against Johan Linas. Now, Gabe Green is the 28-year-old American nicknamed Gifted. He is representing the Subfighter MMA gym. And Gabe Green, he is a rear naked choke submission specialist. All six of Gabe's career submission wins have come specifically via rear naked chokes. So something to look out for. And for Gabe Green, is that dangerous or is it a little bit predictable? I think bits of both. Now, it's dangerous in the respect that it, once he locks it up, it could very well be over. But at least for Johan, he is going to know what to expect. And for Gabe Green, his last rear naked choke was all the way back in April of 2018. Gabe's UFC record stands at 1-1, one and one, with his one loss being a short notice call up. Both results were a decision, so he lost on his UFC debut on short notice against Daniel Rodriguez and looked really decent in that fight. And then he got a full camp and a decision win over Philip Rowe last time out. As for Johan Lainess, he is nicknamed White Lion, 29 years old from Quebec, Canada, and he is from the gym Brazilian top team Canada. Johan is a knockout specialist. He really just goes for it in the first 10 minutes, looks to get it done in the first half of the fight if he possibly can, and most of the time he does. So Johan Lanes expect a huge first round from him. In terms of advantages, there is a significant height and reach advantage for Johan. In terms of durability, I think Gabe Green probably has this slight advantage, and I would say Gabe Green is the better grappler as well. Johan definitely will dominate the striking, but... Gabe is so resilient and he's shown up against Daniel Rodriguez that he can handle the heat when it comes to the best strikers in the UFC. Now, striking for Johan, as I said, big, big point of difference. But yeah, the Daniel Rodriguez one made it really tricky for me to pick because Gabe Green, he, he's durable and he's definitely showing that he's improving and getting better with each outing as well, which is a scary prospect. It's a decent level of competition as well for both of these guys. I think it's a perfect matchup at both of their uh, both stages of their career. Johan was on the most recent series of Dana White's Contender Series, and he will be making his official debut this weekend. On Contender Series, it took Johan less than two minutes to brutally knock out his opponent in Justin Berlinson, and Lyness is a former CFFC welterweight champion. He is looking to come to the big time, and eventually become a champion on the biggest stage. Looking at Gabe Green's professional record, it currently stands at 10-3, and three, with six of Gabe's 10 wins coming by submission, as I mentioned, all rear naked choke submission wins, and Gabe also has three knockouts. So that is nine stoppages from 10 wins for Gabe, with 
The decision being that one against Phil Rowe in his most recent outing. So a fight finisher, but then once he got to the UFC, back-to-back decisions. So it, it is quite interesting. Now, in terms of the losses for Gabe Green, two of three of them have been knockouts, and he's also lost to Daniel Rodriguez by decision. Stylistically, this should be really interesting. Gabe Green, he's going to be able to take the punches and he's going to apply, apply the pressure in the grappling exchanges. Let's see whether Johan can keep up. Speaking of Johan, Lydness has a professional record of 8-0. and oh. Six of those wins by knockout. Five of those wins first round knockouts. One of them being a 14-second flying knee knockout. So this guy has some serious credentials. I cannot wait to see him step into the octagon for his official UFC debut. Nearly forgot what I was going to say, my bad. Uh, the other two wins from Johan's 8-0 and are two decision wins. So, look, I'm very excited for this. This is actually one of the fights that I am most excited for on the card. I know that it's definitely the case for JJ as well, who will be sitting down and watching the fights with me and we'll be releasing our thoughts and comments podcast. So definitely do not sleep on this contest. One of the fucking best fights on the card, no doubt. I reckon it'll be the best fight on the prelims, in my opinion. And in terms of my prediction in this welterweight showdown, I'm going to take the underdog. I'm going to take Johan Lainess by knockout. I really, really like what I have seen from him. And yeah, look, I think Gabe Green, this is a real danger matchup. I can absolutely see Gabe Green winning. I haven't seen a whole lot of Johan Lainess, but what I have seen, I have loved. So I'm going to back Lainess in by knockout taking the Canadian, I believe he's French-Canadian, I'm not 100% sure, but Johan Lainess over Gabe Green by knockout. Hadn't picked a knockout result yet, and I was like, there's got to be somewhere, there's got to be one somewhere in there. So look, in terms of who I think can get it done, it is Johan Lainess by knockout. That is my pick for the welterweight one. We have got two fights remaining. I'll jump into the next one in a second. This next one was originally supposed to be the featured prelim, but they've switched it around. I will jump into the heavyweight featured prelim, Alexander Romanov and Chase Sherman in a moment after this fight, but that originally because it wasn't the featured prelim and it is Alexander Romanov is the biggest favorite in UFC history in this fight, betting-wise. So, yeah, I, I did a rapid pick for that one. It's not going to be a very long preview of that one because I feel like that is so clear-cut. And if Chase Sherman wins, then it will be a huge moment. But look, I will jump to the featured prelim. But just to preface that, I did a way shorter rapid pick for that one because originally it wasn't the featured prelim. Now it is, but that will be a rapid featured prelim prediction. First of all, though, let's jump into the other fight. And that is in the flyweight division. Daniel De Silva up against the flyweight champion's brother, Francisco Figueiredo. I'm going to start with the profile of Daniel Da Silva, also formerly known as Daniel Lacerda. So I was a bit surprised. I didn't, I don't know exactly what the go is with the name change, but now going by the name of Daniel Da Silva. He is from Brazil, only 25 years old as well. So a very exciting prospect. Da Silva is representing the ATS, te- uh, ATS team Tres Rios. And someone you may know from that gym is Alex Oliveira. Alex Cowboy Oliveira, unfortunately cut by the UFC. I think he'll make a great addition if he continues 
fighting for any promotion. I saw that one championship just got a really big uh, broadcast rights deal or something like that. So maybe Alex Oliveira, I think somewhere like one championship, he could put on some really exciting fights. Bellator, look, wherever he lands, Alex Oliveira, a really fun fighter to watch. Going back to Daniel De Silva, though, and only two of his fights have gone past round one. So look for this first five minutes to be highly exciting. I think Francisco Figueiredo, his opponent, definitely a fucking excuse me, text time. Uh, my bad. <laughs> Francisco Figueiredo, he has the skills definitely to get through the first five minutes. Uh, I think it's just the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt skills. That leads me to believe that he is going to be able to navigate the first five minutes, but no doubt... Daniel De Silva, he is going to be coming out and rushing for the early stoppage. As for Francisco Figueiredo, the 32-year-old is nicknamed Sniper from Brazil, and he is representing Team Figueiredo. Francisco is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I'm very, very wary of going against anyone with a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So look, Francisco is going to have plenty of answers for the questions that De Silva is throwing at him. And Francisco is going to have some questions of his own to throw the way of the young 25-year-old in De Silva. Looking at some of the narratives, both of these men are coming off a loss. For De Silva, that was in his UFC debut, losing in the second round by knockout to Jeff Molina, who looks like a real prospect of flyweight. I cannot wait to see what is to come from Jeff Molina, but unfortunately for De Silva, whilst he looked pretty good at points in the fight, he couldn't get it done, dropping his debut for the promotion. For De Silva, he had won 10 of 11 fights prior to entering the UFC, so he wants to return to the winning ways that he knows so well. I think there's every chance he can do that, but as I said, Francisco being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, I think that he's going to be able to shut down a lot of things De Silva will throw at him, whereas some of the opponents De Silva has come up against in the past, they may not have had that range of skills in terms of the grappling and the defense. So this is going to be a very intriguing battle. For Francisco, he won his UFC debut by unanimous decision over Jerome Rivera, who is a very, very decent opponent. Then Francisco had a much less impressive sophomore outing up against Malcolm X. Gordon. And look, I had Francisco in that one, I believe by decision. And Malcolm Gordon absolutely owned him. He was totally the better man throughout the fight. Was not super impressed by Francisco in that one. So look, maybe third time is the charm. He had a great debut. Couldn't follow it up. Now he's had the chance to go away, have some time and get himself ready for this one or whilst his brother has had time to go back and reclaim that UFC flyweight strap. So once again, that kind of an intriguing narrative that if Francisco starts to really make a run and Davison can hold on to the belt, a brother's fight, it it's, looks a long way off to be honest, but had Francisco won against Malcolm Gordon, then he would have started to fast track himself into some bigger fights. So Definitely interesting things for both of these guys. And whoever wins, uh, they're going to face an even bigger step up in competition next time out. For Francisco, he has that burden of being the champion's brother. A lot of expectation comes with that. Some people will literally bet their money on you just because they're like, ah, oh, he's the champion's brother. Like, he's got to be somewhere near as good. So in that way, it's a bit of pressure. It is a burden. But in another respect, 
He trains with Davison. They've worked together, exchanged so much tips and experience. So Francisco, ultimately, having Davison as his brother works out well. I'm pretty sure Francisco is the older one as well. I may have to... I'll check that right now. You know what? I will check that literally right now. But let me continue talking whilst I check who the older one is. And only one of these guys in this fight can bounce back from their last outing. De Silva, it was his debut. The pressure of the big stage maybe got to him. And Molina is a very high-level opponent. For Francisco, well, he just didn't look good at all considering his skill set up against Malcolm Gordon. I was highly impressed with Gordon in that bout, actually. So I am expecting a big bounce back from Francisco Figueiredo. Looking at the ages, Davison is older by two years. So Davison is 34, Francisco is 32. So he's actually the younger brother. My apologies. Let's move on to some of the advantages. For De Silva, he is going to have a five centimeter advantage in the reach department. I think he can utilize that very well. There are a lot of issues with Francisco on the feet that I believe De Silva can expose, and he does have that striking advantage. So look for De Silva to come out in that first five minutes and really try to make a statement. And for Francisco, look for him to try and utilize his grappling, his submission game, and try to disarm this young De Silva kid who looks like a real prospect. Looking at Francisco's pro record, it currently stands at 12 wins, four losses, one draw, and one no contest, so quite a variety there. Francisco's 12 wins, seven by submission, so as I said, I think De Silva is going to be looking for that big knockout punch, but for Francisco Figueiredo, he's going to be looking to totally disarm that and chase the finish himself, which is definitely possible against De Silva. We have seen him be stopped in his UFC debut, so Francisco is going to be looking to utilize his varied submission game to get the win, and seven submissions from 12 wins, three knockouts, and two decision victories for Francisco Figueiredo. And another key statistic here for Francisco is that from 12 wins, he has 10 stoppages. So this one seems absolutely destined to stop inside the distance. I was leaning toward decision earlier in the week. I'm still having a lot of trouble as for who I'm actually going to go for in this fight. But I was leaning toward decision. I do know both of these guys' styles, but I thought maybe that's how Francisco tries to get the win and De Silva a little bit more resilient than he has been in his last couple of outings. But yeah, it's a bit of a head scratcher as to how this will go because Francisco, just like De Silva, they are both stoppage specialists. So uh, it is in the apex. Decision is definitely a concept, but you know what? Considering that both of these guys are stoppage specialists, I'm gonna pick one of them, not sure who yet, to get the win via stoppage. I think that is a huge possibility going by these stats. 10 stoppages in 12 wins for Figueredo. Looking at Francisco's losses, he's been knocked out only one time, once submitted, and two decision losses for Francisco, including that decision loss up against Malcolm Gordon last time out. Daniel De Silva's pro record, 11-2. Pretty healthy record right there. Both of De Silva's losses were knockout losses, so Francisco may very well look to capitalize on that. He has three knockouts on his resume to boast already. And yeah, that could be an outside chance as well where Figueredo chases the big knockout. That is the only way that De Silva has lost so far. 
two knockout losses. All 11 of his wins have been finishes as well. Five knockouts and six submissions for Daniel De Silva. So really, this is such a mix of both of these guys who at the top of their game can beat, I don't know if anyone, but like, you know, they, they could be right up there. And it's they can knock you out and they can submit you. They are not fond of decisions at all. Daniel De Silva has never gone to decision. And only two fights that De Silva has been involved in have gone past the first round. So this one absolutely going to be ending inside the distance, in my opinion. Uh, someone is calling me. Unknown number. I will, I guess, Google that after to see who that is. That could be important, though. But you know what else is important? This stylistic matchup. It is going to be the ultimate clash of styles. They can do it all, so look for maybe a double chance bet, regardless of who you're backing for a knockout or submission win. Those are the highest kind of likelihoods. And I'm expecting plenty of variety in this clash. This could definitely be one of the fight of the night contenders. Or if it ends really short, then definitely a 50k could be lining the pockets of one of these fighters. But which fighter will that be? Well, after much decision, I will be making my prediction for this main card flyweight bout. I'm really, really, really unsure. I'm really unsure. I feel like I could get burnt with this one. But I'm going to take Daniel De Silva by knockout. He's still young. And Francisco kind of just burnt me last time with how he performed against Malcolm Gordon. Same thing happened with De Silva. I think I picked Jeff Molina by decision. That was more how good Molina is. Uh, so yeah, De Silva, he didn't get the job done for me. I would have liked if he could have at least gone the distance and lost. But I was less impressed with Francisco Figueiredo. As I said earlier, very wary of betting against anybody who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. But ultimately, I'm going to get around the young prospect in De Silva. So I am taking Daniel De Silva over Francisco Figueiredo by knockout. And if you want to make it spicy, maybe second round knockout? I don't know. I'll, I'll work out first or second, and then I think I'll have a separate play on that as well. So in the flyweight division, taking Daniel De Silva over Francisco Figueiredo. Very unsure about that one. But look, we've got some more featured prelim action to get into, and that is what I just said, the featured prelim. My goodness, sorry, someone texted me. And I got distracted. Uh, we've got the featured prelim, which, as I said earlier, that is the rapid pick. I just had to, you know, it was, it's too one-sided. It's too one-sided. We've got Chase Sherman up against Alexander Romanov. Now, Chase Sherman was cut two weeks ago after his last performance against Jake Collier, where he was submitted really early, just didn't perform well. I'm pretty sure in that one, very hesitantly, I took Chase Sherman. I'm not pretty sure. I know for a fact, actually. I took Sherman by knockout. And yeah, it was very, very, very disappointing. He ended up getting cut. And yeah, I was like, well, I'm not probably not going to pick this guy in another preview and predictions. I didn't realize he was going to get cut. And then I didn't realize they were going to bring him back two weeks later to take on Alexander Romanov, 15 and 0. He, in the betting market, is the shortest-priced favorite in history. At least that's what I read on the internet, so it has to be true. Uh, and look, Romanov starting to make his run. I think he sits just outside of the top 15. So with a win here, look, 
Chase Sherman, probably not a huge thing to add to your resume, but no doubt Romanov, he's pushing toward those heavyweight rankings. There's a spot for him if he can work his way in there, so Romanov, he needs to get it together. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what's been going on with him. He's had a couple of fights not end up going down. Even this one was supposed to happen last weekend, but that was an issue with Chase Sherman, some kind of health issue. So that's all G. Uh, I mean, it's not all G. Hope you're well, Chase Sherman. But yeah, this is going to be a rapid pick for the featured prelim, which initially wasn't supposed to be the featured prelim. So that is why I had written down a rapid pick in my notes. I thought the flyweight one that I just went through was the featured prelim. But yeah, this one, I think this one can be a quick one. I can jump relatively to the point. In this heavyweight UFC Vegas 53 featured prelim, I'm going to be taking Alexander Romanov by submission. Either way, I think he gets the stoppage, whether that's knockout or submission. And look, if Chase Sherman gets a win in any fashion, then I'll pay it to him. I will be the first one to say, fuck, okay, sorry, man. Uh, I should have done a longer preview. But in my opinion, with the greatest respect, he's not like a Juliana Pena who was ready for the moment and the big underdog kind of fight where she was listed as a huge underdog. But this is different. This is a different level. And Romanov, surely, unless something with Romanov is off and he doesn't present his best self, then this should be a pretty easy one. I'm going to be taking Alexander Romanov in this heavyweight featured prelim by submission over Chase Sherman. Be interesting as well. What happens with Chase Sherman after this if he loses? Do they keep him around for maybe one more fight for doing a favor and stepping in against someone who I guess maybe not a lot of guys wanted to step in there with Romanov. And that is why we are seeing Chase Sherman step up to the plate. So huge respect to Chase Sherman. This is no disrespect or discredit to his skills. But I think Romanov is going to be far too good on the day. So taking Alexander Romanov by submission. Uh, my housemates played music all day. So look, I'm just going to wrap this one up while I can before it starts. UFC Vegas 53. Those were my prelim picks. It is going to be an amazing card. I can hear some singing starting. Hopefully not translatable to what you can hear, but also I'm about to move out this month. So that'll be a thing of the past. I'm starting to work on stage two, the recording. We've got the new laptop, new graphics, a whole improvement in place. If you have enjoyed the podcast, do not forget to follow us on Instagram at not just the sports report and also follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on because up next i will be releasing my main card picks gotta wait for this hooligan to stop blasting his music all the time so once i can get that little spot in i gotta work till midnight tonight so i will get it in no doubt and up next will be the ufc vegas 53 main card headlined by ranked bantamweights Rob Font and Marlon Vera. So as music is slowly intensifying, it's probably going to get turned up in a second. So I just got to wrap this one quick. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Those were my picks. They've been pretty decent in recent times. So make sure as well to tune into UFC Thoughts and Comments this weekend with myself and JJ. We will be going through all the action and there could be some money to be made, no doubt. So UFC Vegas prelims predictions, that is done and dusted. Now it is time to jump in to the UFC main card. So from myself and myself basically right now, thanks for listening and take care of yourselves.